0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Tuesday Topics uh, with my phone. This is Paul Edwards, and I have as my guest this evening, Ms. Deborah Kendrick, um, who, for those of us who have been around for a long time, is pretty famous. Uh, she was editor of Tactic Magazine, a columnist for the Cincinnati Enquirer, and is a frequent contributor to Access World. But we've invited her on tonight because Deborah Kendrick has written a book. And what I'd like to start by asking Deborah is: Deborah, what made you decide to write this book?
1: Oh my goodness! Well, first of all, thank you for having me because I love Tuesday topics, and this is really great to be here. Um, I wasn't sure how I came to write this book until people have been asking me that question since the book was published, and so I did some self-conversation, you know, where you ask yourself a question and you come up with an answer. And so the immediate reason in, in, in present terms is that in the last 39 months, yes, I counted them, in 39 months, I have had five surgeries, been in three hospitals, and been in the center of a long, complicated medical nightmare. But I don't think that's how I came to write the book. I think that when I was a child, my blindness is from retinoblastoma, which is a rare childhood cancer. That is one more reason that Paul Edwards and I are related. Um, but I spent a lot of time in the hospital when I was five years old, and it was it was horrible. It was a it was a traumatic experience for a child. I was. I was alone. I was lonely. I was scared, and big people were mean to me all the time. And I had no power. And I really think now that that planted a seed in my little brain that unless you take charge of yourself, um, you have no power in medical environments. And and there were other milestones along the way. Um, I didn't have many medical incidents. I'm. Pretty healthy, other than this cancer stuff that keeps cropping up. But um, in raising my children, I was in medical situations where I had to advocate for them while also making it clear to medical professionals that blindness is not my identity and just one part of me. And I think all of that together, that's this long road that began when I was five and scared and miserable in a hospital led to my wanting to share what I've learned with all my blind friends. I, I, I feel like this book it has been um, more of a mission than a job. It has just felt so important to me to, to pull together the strategies that I've figured out and, and share them with other people. I hope to spare other people some inconvenience and, and stress and pain in medical situations that are already stressful and painful.
0: So tell us the title of the book and where people can get it.
1: The book is Navigating Healthcare, When All They Can See Is That You Can't. And it's available from National Braille Press. Um, Many of our listeners will be familiar with that. But in the event that you're not, National Braille Press is a a uh, small, wonderful nonprofit that, among many other things, produces a number of books and publishes a number of books for children and adults. And um, the book is available in hard copy Braille, but it's also available uh, downloadable as a Word file or DAISY or BRF or something else. I don't know. But anyway, you don't need. To be able to read Braille, to read this book. You can download it and read it on any
0: computer or other device. And do I understand that it's that it's currently free?
1: Yeah. Um, what National Braille Press did, because they're basically wonderful, <laughs> is they selected a few books that have material that's very relevant to um, the coronavirus, COVID-19. Era, And so they have made those books free. Mine is just one of them. Um, And I'll go ahead and name the other two because they're written by friends of mine and they're great. So um, my book, as well as um, Dinner Delivered by Kim Loftus and Chris Korbowski, and Getting Visual Assistance with an iPhone by Judy Dixon, because each of those has information that can help people um, whether this interesting era that we're in of quarantine, uh, they've made them free. With the exception, I should say that if you want the hard copy Braille of any of them, it's half price. Or if you can't download yourself and you want the files sent to you on a flash drive, that's half price.
0: So, Excellent. So the book was written in January, and so it, it came out, prior to the pandemic, or or it was probably written all all of last year, but it came out prior to the pandemic. Why don't you briefly describe the the kind of plan of the book, like the the table of contents and the various chapters, and then we're going to talk about what you might have changed given the pandemic.
1: Sure. Okay. So, well, actually, um, it was written in September and maybe a little bit of October. And I know that because I had another surgery in October. And I remember thinking, oh, I should have talked about this or, oh, I'm so glad I talked about this. (laughs) So um, anyway, but it it came out at the end of 2019 or beginning of 2020, which, of course, was before um, we knew about before coronavirus was even a little glimmer in our eyes, so to speak. So um, the book it's, it's, a, it's a small book, by the way. In Braille, it's one Braille volume. Um, and I tell people, you know, you can read it in probably an hour, hour and a half, whatever format you read it in. So it's divided um, into eight chapters. And what I do is I talk about all of the various kinds of medical environments that we find ourselves in. So finding a doctor. And, and all of this is from the perspective of how to do this as a person who's blind or low vision and how to do it without, um, how to do it and keep a positive attitude when your blindness comes up again and again and again, because every medical professional I've ever met has asked me at least once, how much can you see? So with that as, as the foundation that we've all experienced and we all know that it's there navigating these these various environments with with that in mind and, and how to get that over with and put it in the background so how to find a doctor um, dealing with outpatient procedures um, and and I do some describing of, of what various outpatient procedures are like and and talk about things that might come up you know like the The medical technician who tries to take your shirt off because she thinks you're you have the 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 cognitive ability of a preschooler, Um, um, and then I talk about um, then there's a chapter on emergency situations. When do you call nine one one, and when is nine one one appropriate? And if nine one one is not appropriate, hey, because we're blind, we need to know about the urgent cares and the retail clinics and the minute clinics that are in our neighborhood. And so that's another thing that I talk a lot about in each chapter is be prepared. Find out this stuff before you need it, because when you need it's not a time to figure out where's the nearest urgent care and how do I get there. You need to be thinking about those things beforehand. Um, And then there's a chapter on Um, hospital stays, whether emergency or planned overnight stays and how to deal with staff in those situations, short-term rehabilitation stays. I think one of my favorite chapters is the chapter for blind parents and grandparents. And maybe that's because much of what I know about navigating healthcare when all they can see is that you can't. I learned By being the blind parent of three wonderful children. Because so much of the time when my kids needed medical attention, I had to dispense with that piece first. And and I I give a few examples in the book. And and I will say that one was very positive. My oldest child is chronic asthmatic. So from the time she was a baby, we were in and out of hospital and emergent situations. And I bonded so well with her pediatrician. He taught me and I taught him. And when she was 11 and in the hospital and he showed up in her hospital room the next morning and I said to him, so what do you think brought this on? And he said, you know better than I do because you're the expert on her asthma. And it was so rewarding. And I carried that with me for so many years through other experiences as you know, the 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 confirmation that doctors can believe in us as capable, competent people. Anyway, so then there's a chapter on medical devices that are accessible that you can buy for home, um, which really relates to COVID because I did that right away when the lockdown happened. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's those are the the highlights. And so um, now that COVID nineteen is here. I I do have a chapter where I talk about technology, and we telemedicine was just sort of a, a gleam in the eye of a few then, and now it's becoming more and more popular. And my belief is that because so many doctors and patients are experimenting with telemedicine now, it is going to become a big part of the landscape of our medical future. And I think that's a real positive. It's a positive for everyone, but especially for those of us who are blind, because um, again, talking about it from a blindness perspective, in the book, I talk about, you know, what is the best way to go to a doctor's office for the first time or an outpatient procedure for the first time? My own view is better to go alone because if you're alone they have to deal with you they they can't talk to your mother brother sister husband wife uber driver about you like you're a piece of furniture they have to talk to you if you're on your own and so telemedicine creates that automatically there's only you and your physician so i think that's pretty cool um i i think uh that Reading this book bef- now, it should be especially helpful to people because it is so important to prepare for a medical experience before you're in it. And especially with COVID-19, if, for example, you suddenly, you or someone you love or live with has to be hospitalized, I hope that this book will help you think about and frame the things you will say in those situations to get what you need quickly and not to be dismissed. So, um, yeah. So I hope, I hope that's what you were going for, Paul. Oh,
0: not enough. <laughs> 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 Miss Deborah. are there, are, are there some particular things that, uh, that the last four months has persuaded you, uh, might be in a second edition of, of your book that, that, that weren't in the first one.
1: Well, when I talk about technology in the book, um, well, I talk about technology in various ways. One is that I stress the importance of finding ways to communicate to medical professionals that you're just a regular person. And so I give examples of even if you're just going for you know a wrist X-ray or you know a routine exam, chat them up, chat them up. I mean, I say you know I, I basically uh, my God-given self is probably an introvert. But I learned when I was very young that if you talk and you have something interesting to say, people like you. So I talk to medical people so they'll know that I'm a person and not just, you know, a two-dimensional blind person. So so that's one way that I talk about technology in the book is if you have to stay in the hospital and you have a laptop and an iPhone, make them visible. Let people know you're using them and, you know, invite questions about how you use them. So... You have an opportunity to communicate about you as a person. So, but I also talk about technology in terms of all those things that we have to do, you know, filling out forms when you go into a doctor's office or for an outpatient um, procedure or filling out things on the the various uh, medical portals. And at the time that I wrote it, so this wasn't even, this was, you know, October when I finished it. So that's only you know seven or eight months ago. I had yet to find any of those portals that were completely accessible. And ironically, I found one in January. Uh, I had to um, complete the medical survey for a particular uh, place that I was going to. It was completely accessible, so I got really excited about that. So I would talk about that because I think more of those are coming along, and I think telemedicine. You know, best practices for being prepared and communicating with your physician via FaceTime, Zoom, Skype, whatever would be a part of it. And um, another thing that I only talk about a little bit is transportation that I, I think maybe deserves more attention. That said, I'm not saying I'm right in part two, but if, if I were, those were some things that I would include.
0: So, in your technology chapter, where you list um, various devices that are available um, were, were you were you trying to provide simply samples of, of what devices were there or or do you actually believe that that the devices that you recommend are the best in show as it were?
1: Oh no, I don't believe they're the best at all uh, and what I say more than once in the book is this is this is not a book about technology because. I did worry a bit that people seeing my name because I've been writing about technology since 1985, that people would think, Oh, it's a tech book. That's not me. This is not, this book is not at all about technology, but I, I did want to introduce people who might not know that there are accessible devices such as, you know, talking scales, talking thermometers, talking blood pressure cuffs, Talking oximeters, talking glucose monitors. Um, I think the word is glucometer, actually. But anyway, so I give examples of each of those. But n- no way do those are. Uh, am I endorsing those products? I, I just yeah. listed examples. Um, and and that said, when COVID came, I didn't have a talking thermometer. I haven't had a thermometer. My kids are all adults now. I haven't had a thermometer since. My kids were growing up, and actually when they were really little, we didn't even have talking thermometers yet. We had the yeah, mommy I, kiss test.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I have a talking thermometer in, in, in my medicine cabinet, but I have no idea if it works. It's, it's probably 10 years old. So the probability well, is very high that it does not.
1: On about March 20th, I think, I thought, holy smoke, You know, this is serious. I'm not going to see anybody for a while. I, I ought to be able to take my temperature. So I don't know. I think I got on the Amazon and actually I remember yeah. I, I found a few and I got confused and I had a friend, another blind friend help me just find one and order it. So I now have a talking thermometer and it's an easy one. You just push the button and it says measure your temperature or something. You stick it in your mouth and wait eight seconds and it tells you you're good. But it didn't come with a case. So I hope some come with a case because Another friend of mine who got the same thermometer the same week that I did, which was kind of funny because we didn't even talk to each other, but we had the same reaction to COVID. Oh, I need a thermometer. So, And she said, she just put it back in the box as, to, as a case. Well, I didn't think of that. So I put it in a Ziploc bag. Anyway, it's here.
0: So we're going to open it up for questions. Uh, as soon as I ask Deborah one last question, and it and it actually may seem a little bit off subject, but deborah you have another book coming out why don't you tell us about it
1: i do and i think actually it's released this week um so the other book is the one i wanted probably most passionately to write um the title is when your ears can't help you see and um it's strategies for people with combined vision and hearing loss and I, um, uh, again, my blindness is is from retinoblastoma, and I had excessive radiation as a child. And when I was about 15, word came home from my public high school that I had a hearing impairment. My parents laughed. I laughed. Um, Then when I started mobility training, same message. And uh, when I had my first baby and other people could hear her before I could, I realized all those tests were true. And so I went through all of the stereotypical denial phases about hearing loss. I've been wearing hearing aids now for, I don't know, 35 years. But initially, I was very secretive about it. I was very ashamed of it. And a couple of different things helped me get over that. And now I am, I, I love hearing aids and I love. Sharing how to use them with other people, um, and I, I like to think that understanding hearing loss in my own world has given me much more empathy for my friends over the decades losing vision gradually. So this book is a book about um, dealing with that, whether it's new or old, and whether it's in you or someone you love, but. The Helen Keller National Center says there are 2.4 million of us who have both vision and hearing disabilities. So it's time that we just, you know, face it and figure out all the cool techniques for getting around it. So it's a a book about um, strategies and accessories and devices, and I just loved writing it, and I can't wait for people to read it. So, and
0: it's coming out from National Braille Press as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's being announced this week. Um, so if you go on National Braille Press, you can probably order it now, nbp.org. Um, so,
0: yeah. And if and if your ears can't help you see, is that what it's called?
1: Yeah, when your ears can't help you see. We struggled with the title, I will say. Um, and to her credit, you know, she may be right. My editor, Cassell Wilson, who is absolutely wonderful to work with. She hated the title. Um, my first title was Losing Your Hearing, Keeping Your Life. And she liked that. But then the more I thought about it, I didn't like it because I said, I want one that's specifically about people who already have a vision disability. So I came up with When Your Ears Can't Help You See. So, yeah, you're all hearing it from me. It's it's about hearing loss, but if the title doesn't make sense, read it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Very
0: good. Mr. Rick, shall we Shall we try a question?
2: Certainly. Connie Bateman.
3: Hi. Can you hear me? We can. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I was married to a sighted husband who could drive. And so for many years, he drove us around everywhere. But starting in 2018, he suffered from a very debilitating liver disease, terminal illness, and the roles were reversed. I became his primary caregiver and I signed him up for go-go grandparents and so he could arrange his own rides because he didn't have a smartphone. But after a while, the toxins from the liver started getting to his brain and had an impact on his cognitive abilities. So I had to start going with him to doctor appointments and arranging those for him Mm -hmm. and reminding him to go and going with him. And it was very interesting because not only did I have to advocate for him because he was so weak, but I had to advocate for myself as well. One doctor did not allow me to record the session. Um, and someone told me later it's because of all the HIPAA laws. So finally, what I started doing was I started bringing my Braille note taker. No mm-hmm. one could say I couldn't use that. and mm-hmm. um, One doctor actually said, "Oh, is that Braille? That's cool. You know, I have an uncle and he's from India and he's visually impaired and you know he's active in the community." And um, I I would say transportation was a really big issue because you know it, it was challenging to arrange all those rides. And when I called Kaiser to ask about you know whether transportation was available through Kaiser, they said, "No, it's not part of his plan." I personally think that if the primary caregiver is visually impaired or blind that it should be part of the plan anyway I mean but you know I'm not in charge so but um now see now what I'm he passed away in December and now I live all Mm -hmm. alone so now what I'm thinking is okay he was lucky to have me take care of him I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging but
1: No, you're absolutely right. I
3: arranged everything to keep him at home, Um, caregivers, home health workers, home hospice workers, and that kept him out of the hospital, out of the skilled nursing facility after he was there for so long. And I'm very thankful for that. But now I'm all alone and I think, what happens if I get sick? You know, there's no one here to take me in. How do I, because he used to take me to a doctor or urgent care if if I broke my foot or if I got sick. But now there's no one here. And so I think your book is going to help me prepare for that and, you know, line up some resources because I generally tend to be a very resourceful person. And so um, I want to thank you for writing that book and I want to know if you have any thoughts about that.
1: Well, Connie, first of all, thank you so much for sharing because you prompted a couple of things in my head. Um, but first of all, I just want to say, probably because I have lived alone for about 10 years. I think it's been about 10 years since I launched my last child, maybe eight years. At any rate, I've lived alone for quite a while. And, um, probably without even intending to, I had the person living alone in mind when I wrote this book. So I do hope it will help you. And, And secondly, um, I, I'm I'm glad you brought up the the idea of recording conversations. I have not done that nearly enough, but I have, because I've been in kind of a medical nightmare that I won't go into for the last couple of years, I have started recording conversations and you know, we have advantages as blind people. So what I've been doing is I take my iPhone and I I personally like, there are a lot of recording apps for the iPhone, but but the one I like best because it's easiest is called RecUp, R-E-C-U-P. And it's part of Dropbox. And when you launch it, it the, what I the reason I like it better than some others is that it automatically uploads the recorded file to your Dropbox file. And then you can play it on your computer or your phone or anywhere else you have Dropbox. But there are others. But the thing that's an advantage of being a blind person is, <laughs> and my, my daughter, I asked her to go in with me um, to a recent, not so recent, it was like January, important meeting with the surgeon. And she figured out at the very end what I did. And she asked me on the way out, she said, were you recording that? And I said, yeah. And she said, I had, you know, what I did is I turned screen curtain off on my phone. So my phone was black. But I launched the recording app, and I laid the phone on the desk, and it recorded the whole conversation. Um, So that's one thing you can do. And you're using a Braille device is brilliant for a couple of reasons. I think using a Braille device, they see that, and you automatically gain some respect because they think you're just a blind person. You don't know anything, and they see this technical device in your hands, and they think, oh. Maybe she knows something. So even if they don't ask you about it, believe me, they notice it. And that's a good thing. And so if your device has a recording capability, record on that or take notes on it. But it's great that you did that. And I, again, you know, I, I learned through a lot of trial and error um, in this recent saga that having technology in my hands, I swear, it... Lifts you up a little bit, in, you know when they're taking measure of who you are, um, you get a few points for having some technology in your hands. So that's great. And 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 if
0: you if you don't want to um, if you don't want to use your iPhone because it's a because you're not great at it, um, I would just mention that as long as you plug a, a, a an, an earbud into your stream. Your stream will do a perfectly adequate recording and nobody will ever know.
1: Oh, exactly, because a Victor stream doesn't look like anything to a sighted exactly. person. It's just exactly. a confusing little piece of technology. Yeah, exactly. that's a great idea. Yeah.
2: All right, who's next, Mr. Rick? Uh, we've got Mary, please. Mary.
1: Hello. 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 Uh,
4: Deborah and I have been friends for many, many years. Indeed. And <laughs> I I have to say that this was, I I read this book and she's right. It didn't take very long to read. Um, I, I didn't uh, read it in Braille. I'm not that great of a Braille reader, but I read it in word and uh, it didn't take long at all. And I was very impressed, of course, because I know that Deborah is an outstanding writer. And as I was reading, I would, I would think, well, wait a minute. She didn't say this or that. And then the very next paragraph There was, I mean, she, (laughs) she just, she, uh, covered everything. I, I, I guess I have one comment that, um, Deborah is far more advanced in technology than I am. And I I think most of us, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, I, it never occurred to me to bring in with me a piece of technology, um, and from now on I will do that. I have been to doctors' appointments and appointments with surgeons by myself and also with a friend to take notes and to provide an extra set of ears. Because when you're under stress, you don't always hear everything that you should hear. And the the only drawback to bringing a person in with you, as far as I know, is that you need to prep that person beforehand. I always tell them to not make eye contact with the medical personnel. Um, Force them to look at me and ask me the questions uh, and this is true for anything really when you're shopping, for instance you um you know if you're with a friend um my friends have been taught to walk away when i'm talking with the store clerk or the you know the nurse or whoever at the at the hospital unless I need her i i've I had one funny uh experience where uh, a lift driver took me to my appointment for a colonoscopy and the uh, nurse wanted to give him my, uh, you know, the form to fill out. And he was just standing there to make sure that I was in the right place before he left. So I had to say, no, 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 he's my Lyft driver. He's, he doesn't do this for me. Yeah. And then the other thing is that these forms uh, nowadays a lot of times they have to be done on these devices that they have these tablets or whatever but i ask them if i if i'm seeing a new doctor i ask them to send me the paper, paperwork first so i can get it done at home and that way there's no uh embarrassment of having to find a private place for
1: somebody to read the questions to me so
0: thank you miss mary
1: mary bear- Mary I'm so happy you're here and but i i do i I do want to talk about that whole business of taking someone in with you because that is the the conflict for those of us who are blind because for everyone in the world, the best advice is take somebody with you because when you're in in a stressful situation which a medical situation often is, two heads are better than one, four ears are better than two, etc so For years, I didn't take anybody, but then, you know, I had this cancer thing show up and then I had this other complicated surgery with my leg show up and I, I wanted somebody else in the room with me. So, um, and, and I do, I talk about this a little bit in the book that I think just, as you say, it's, it's important to take someone else with you, but you need to have a conversation with that person to drop back. So, if I would say ninety percent of the time I go alone, but if I take someone or they take me, as they may see it, um, I say, "Get me to the counter and go sit down," because yes. they they have to talk to me, and and so and I I had a situation about a year ago where I was going to a, a new doctor. I'd been there once, and he told me I needed this injection in my wrist. And so I asked my daughter to take me and, and, you know, my, my kids, you know, growing up with me, they're pretty tough. <laughs> they're very tough. They're, uh-huh. they're, they're sometimes more critical of, of sighted people, oh, and yeah. blind people than, <laughs> than I am. So Melinda went with me and um, she took me there and she waited in the waiting room on purpose because she wanted to make it clear that I was yes. on my own. So I go back, I get the injection and I'm coming out. And I said to the nurse walking out with me, is there anything I need to know for follow-up? No, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And then we get out to the waiting room where my daughter is. And I learned later, she's mouthing to Melinda silently, here, here are her follow-up instructions. Uh. And my daughter just went ballistic. She's like, what is wrong with you? Why are you giving me? You don't know me. I could be her Uber driver. <laughs> Don't give me her medical information. Talk to her. And so then, I mean, we were pretty terrible. We kind of teamed up and blasted the receptionist. But yeah, it is important to talk to the person who takes you because if you just have a friend that you only, you know, go to, you know, church with or have lunch with occasionally, mm-hmm. maybe they haven't been in this situation before. And you need to talk to them beforehand. Hey, if they look Absolutely. at you. And they ask about me. Please look away. Make them talk to me.
4: Yeah,
1: uh, do Excellent. I have, do I have
4: time for one more anecdote? Act, Just act, Actually,
0: it, no, because okay. we've we've got we've got loads got of other people. people who are still waiting. Okay, yep. okay. Mr. Rick.
2: Okay, uh, we've got Sharon. Sharon, if you want to unmute yourself, I am
0: here.
5: Yes, there you
2: go.
0: Hey, Sharon Sorkowski from Massachusetts?
5: Yes. Hi. Hi, Paul. How are you? Well, thank you. Good. Let me, here we go. Okay. Um, this is, sounds like a really excellent book, Deborah. And I think if you're going to do book number two, one of the topics <laughs> <laughs> that would be good to have in there is what happens when you get in an emergency away from home, um, which has happened to me twice. Good point. I was on a yeah. Rhodes Scholar trip one time, which is Elder Hostel, and broke two ribs. And I was, not at all near home. And it was so exhausting. I mean, it was in pain for one thing, but just to navigate that whole situation, uh, being embarrassed because I had done it and um, having to deal with the people at the hotel where I was staying, and then the medical people, it was just really, really difficult. And um i was definitely having to be my own advocate because there was nobody there with me uh, oh. so it, it was very scary and it, you know it worked out okay and and i was able to get back to the hotel in a the cab there was this was po- pre uber time but um still it was it was scary and then the other experience i had was my mother who had a rare ear cancer and she came to where Uh, to a hospital near where I was living. So I was in the situation of being her caregiver in an unfamiliar environment for her.
1: So Sharon, uh, at the end, I I, I guess Paul will give me a chance to give contact info and I really would hope you would get in touch with me because I'd like to follow up on those. Sure. Those are really valuable experiences. Good. Thank you. Thanks Sharon. Okay.
2: Mr. Rick. Yes, Chris Bell, please. Chris Bell from North Carolina. Chris, you need to unmute yourself, sir.
1: Chris, hello.
5: hello.
2: <laughs> Tell you what, Chris will come back to you. Debbie Grubb, please. Debbie, if you can unmute yourself. Hello, can you hear me? There you, go. you are. There
6: you are. Hello? Can you all hear hello. me? You yes, you? Deb. Okay, my, my, um, we're all fading in and out. Debra, I'm not going to take a long time to talk about uh, my own experiences with my husband, who also had uh, a retina care, caregiver, but I do want you, because you're so technologically savvy, plus you have such a kind and gentle heart, to talk about um, some of the paperwork issue. Now, I insist that it is either emailed to me. Or I can go on a patient portal. Uh, The last doctor's appointment I went to, I actually signed up and did all the stuff checked in on this portal. And the reason I say this is not long ago, I went to a dentist appointment and I had been told that it was very simple. I could just do everything when I got there. And the nurse got very snippy and I said, all right, what is the least amount of stuff I need to do to get this surgery and I'll do the rest of the stuff later? And I guess the doctor or one of his nurses heard me because by this time I was getting very annoyed and they just did the surgery and I just signed something. So I thought that's never going to happen to me again. So I think it might be nice for you to time talking about how to do some of this paperwork ahead of time. Because when I walked up to the counter the other day and said, I have already signed in on the patient portal, um, you know, that put me on another level altogether.
1: Debbie, you know, my sense of it is, it's one facility at a time, one patient at a time, one doctor at a time. And as tedious as that is, and as weary as it makes us, that's that's the place we're in. And every one of us is an ambassador, whether we like it or not. And so, you know, for example, I have paid into a concierge practice since 2004, and, and that's, and I talk about concierge practices in the book. And those are practices where you pay a substantial amount of money every year to be your doctor's patient, but that gives you a lot of um, benefits. And one of them is, you know, instant access to your doctor, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So that being said, until very recently, the portal for that, so that's, you know, what 2004 to now. uh, Math isn't my strong suit, but I think that's 16 years. Until very recently, I couldn't access the site. Um, But it's one, one experience at a time. About four years ago, I went to get an annual mammogram and my daughter was visiting. I was in Cincinnati. My daughter was visiting me from Florida. She was in the waiting room with her little boy named Eli. My daughter's name is Melinda. I went to the counter and I'm talking to the receptionist and her name was Melinda. And she heard me, I turned around to say something to my Melinda and she heard my Melinda's call her little boy who was then like five, Eli. And she said, oh my gosh, my little boy's name is Eli. So, okay, synchronicity. We have this connection. We're all connected. We're all part of this. So then she starts asking me these personal questions that they ask on a medical form. And I said, Melinda, I just wish so much that this would be emailed to me because this is embarrassing. I don't want to answer all these questions with everybody in the waiting room hearing my answers. And you know what? Six months later, it was time for me to go again. And I got an email and it was the form. And I filled the form out of my medical history and all my answers. And I printed it out and I took it in and I and there was Melinda and I handed it to her and I said, thank you so much. And she said, you know what? I can't take credit for this. I don't even know how you got this. She said, I guess I entered a note that a patient asked to be emailed, but I had nothing to do with it. So I, I offer that by way of saying, just keep bringing it up. Sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't, but Keep bringing it up, and as tedious as it is, eventually we'll teach all of them, and we won't have to go through all this crap, or at least the next generation won't.
2: (laughs) Mr. Rick, who's next? Yes, phone number 5292,
1: please. Hello, can you hear me?
0: Yes.
7: Okay. Um, Deborah, uh, I talked with you the other night at the um, Library uh, Lua meeting, uh, no, I wrote book <clears throat> club. There we go, um, and all of that is is great, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I certainly wish my husband, my late husband, had been around when you wrote that book, when you wrote the next book about uh, deaf blindness, because it would have been really helpful. Um, I was at I was my husband's adv- advocate um, before he passed away, and. Part of the problem is, now, um, if if the person, the blind, he was blind, if the blind person is too sick to really do a lot, you really do have to be the advocate. Yes. Um, and I've been to the doctor twice in the last two days, actually, catching up on things that I haven't yet done. And um, my big thing is I go with... Um, well, they called him a caregiver because we had it when he was alive, and I kept it for a bit. And she took me, or the caregiver took me, and they they were like, uh, do you want to come back with her? And she said, no. <laughs> well, taking me to the x-ray was like, it was um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a knee replacement. And this woman was like a deer in the headlights, like, you mean... You want me to like take her back, <laughs> you know? And I said that's, that's fine. You can do that. It'll work fine, and it did. Um, but talking about medical forms, um, our hospital does not send emails. They um, and they called today actually because I'm going to have my annual uh, Medicare or whatever physical. And they said, do you have someone that can help you fill this out or shall we do it? Do you want to do it at the office? Well, you know, I live alone. I don't particularly want someone that I don't know very well to fill out my Medicare form. And it's not on, uh, that's that's the only way you can do it. Either you fill it out at home or you do it at the office. So I'm going to do it at the office, but I'm going to do it in a private place i'm not going to do it you know that, that,
1: that's right and and, and i want to just jump in here and say please understand that when that form was emailed to me that was a one time occurrence that mm-hmm. happened that happened in maybe 2015 2016 the next year mm-hmm. it did not happen. it was a one-time occurrence so you have to just keep its advocacy and and really yeah. that's what this book is about more than anything else it's about advocating for yourself you are in charge of you you are you know you better than anyone else will ever know you and you need to advocate for yourself and that's this book is much more an advocacy book than than a medical book and and mm-hmm. so what what you're talking about as far as you know filling out those forms if they don't email them to you which is a once in a blue moon occasion then yes you need to step up to the plate and say and that's it, this is something i do talk about quite a bit in the book is how much yeah i've times, read it and it's great <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you because there's you know i mean it's like we are stripped of our dignity if we don't grab it back and say no i'm not doing that i'm not going to give you my personal history in this waiting room with 15 other people listening in, even though it's boring, I'm not going to do that because they don't have to do it. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the main thing. What is adapting to whatever the situation is and saying in that situation, you need to deal with me and only me. And if you need, you know, and, and I will say, as soon as I go into a new place, I've never been in, if there are forms to fill out, I'm not able to read them for myself. Somebody needs to read them to me, and we need to do that in a private environment. And, you know, it took me a lot of years to figure that out, you know, so it's not like I was just born understanding this. And so and, and that is the reason for the book is that I hope that I'll cut some corners for some people who haven't experienced that yet.
2: Thank you, Rick. Yes, phone number 9833,
8: please. Hi, thanks. This is Alice. And I was just going to say, it, I too like you have a concierge um, physician, which has been wonderful, and, and he is really good. I mean, he, he, you know, he's always excited to learn about all the technology and things I have that I use to be able to do my own care. But where I find I get into trouble, like you said, is when I go into a place like where I have to go to get a CAT scan done or an MRI, and it, and it, it doesn't matter. I'll tell them ahead of time. They'll offer to send the forms. I say you can send them, but there's nobody here to fill them out. Somebody's still going to have to ha- help me fill them out, and I'll go in, and they'll insist. And in fact, I had one of them even wanted to chase after the cab driver to get her to help fill out my form. And I had to explain, no, this is the cab driver. I don't want you telling her my business. You need to help me fill out these forms. But my question to you, Deb, is because, and you talked about it a little bit, like when you came out from when you had your wrist done and they said there was nothing you needed to know and then proceeded to math to your daughter. I, I find the hardest thing is when I leave like an outpatient procedure or something, Getting the instructions and getting them to tell me what I need to do because all they want to do is hand you a piece of paper and, well, it's on this paper. And I have to explain to them again, well, that's fine and dandy, but there's nobody at home that can tell me these. And you really need to do it to me. And only once in all my life have I actually got somebody to actually sit down and read through everything that was on the piece of paper so I would know what to do. And it's always, that's always the challenge because then most of the time, all they want to do is just give me the highlights, so to speak. Well, if this happens, then you probably need to come back to the emergency room. And, you know, or, you know, you can take the pain medicine, so-and-so, but, you know, but still not tell me everything that I need to be aware of and should be aware of. And and I'm not sure, you know, what the answer to that is.
1: Unfortunately, I think the answer is, the whole system is a work in progress and our being recognized as ordinary people who just happen to have vision disabilities is a work in progress and so even though i mean and and, and i i do talk about this in the book that you 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 get so much further with a smile and a joke and, and a, a, a a quick quip and sometimes that's hard because sometimes we are so weary of it, especially those of us who have been blind for a long time. We're so weary of it of just educating people and and trying to let people know I'm just like you. I just can't see. I'm just like you. And it's so tiresome. But unfortunately, I really think that's the only the only way that's going to succeed. We just have to keep plugging away and doing that and because sometimes there are such golden, extraordinary experiences. I, I went to an ENT for the first time. You know, I'm, I'm from Ohio. I've only been in Florida for a few years. I had an ear infection. I, I went on the internet and looked for an ENT. And I talk about that in the book too, like how to find a doctor. I went on the internet and I found an ENT and I made an appointment and I went there and I, I took Lyft there. So I don't know anybody. I don't even know how to get into the place, Right. So I say to the lift driver, "Could you just walk in with me and like kind of get me to the counter?" So he did, and then he left. And I'm standing at the counter, and the the receptionist or whatever she was starts talking to me. And she gets my stuff, and then it was such a wonderful miracle. She said to me, "Okay, I have some medical forms to fill out, but um, for your privacy, uh, let's go down the hall to an exam room to do it." And I just wanted to hug her. Like, oh my gosh, you don't even know me and you knew this was the thing to do. So, sometimes that happens. And when it happens, you say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you tell them how extraordinary they are for getting it. And then the next time, maybe it sucks. The next time somebody squats down in front of you in a room full of 25 people and says, "Are you maybe pregnant?" And and you got to deal with that. But I think if we all kind of bear in mind that we know that we are in charge of ourselves, we know that we have to take power for ourselves and that whether we like it or not, we're paving the way for the next generation. Rick, I have a question. So we're question.
0: going to try to get two questions in really quickly. Uh, Mr. Rick.
4: Okay. I have a quick question. Um, yep. It's Debbie. Uh,
1: I'm wondering Debra, have you had anyone who has not taken your signature and acted like, well, you have to have someone with you who will sign because it's their word, your word against theirs, or anyone who has tried to make you have someone else that came with you be the one that signs? What have you done? i have not and i have heard horror stories about that sort of thing actually but i guess i've been pretty fortunate um in in that you know they will they'll ask me can you sign which i think is kind of condescending and rude but they do sometimes ask me can you sign um but no i haven't had that but i i have heard others say that and that's something to be prepared for that You know, I've heard people say that they tell you to just put an X, you know, so I'll tell you, my signature stinks. It's really illegible, but it's mine. It's mine. So I'm going to put it on everything. I just
6: just tell them, tell them I'm a doctor and I have great bedside
1: manner. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Rick, who's
0: next?
2: I I can't get past this bedside manner comment, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
6: yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually waiting for terry pacheco to open her mic and she
9: just did so
4: terry Pacheco, yeah
9: yes it is hi Deb, it's great hi. to hear your voice you. um i just have a quick i'm gonna make this very quick uh one of the things i absolutely believe that you need to be your own self-advocate you need to be the self-advocate for uh, be the advocate for your own family and that. And one way that I have um, found to keep them focused on me, when you bring a friend with you, make sure it's a blind friend. It totally freaks them. They have to pay attention to you.
1: <laughs> okay. So since Mary Highland is on this call, I must tell you one quick story. Um, one of my major surgeries in 2017 which was horrible. And I could talk all day about that, but I had to go into a short term rehab and it was the worst couple weeks of my life. No competition. And I was so desperate to get out of there. And, um, Mary Highland who lives in Columbus, Ohio has been my friend for many years. And I was here in St. Pete, Florida and I wanted to go home and she had offered to come and stay with me. So I'm wanting to get out, and the doctor of the facility comes in to see me, and she said, I'm really, really reluctant to let you go. I'm really reluctant. You know, and it's, 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 I mean, it's stamped all over her. It's because you're blind, you're blind, you're blind. And I said, well, I just want you to know that I have a friend who's arriving tomorrow, so it's going to be okay. And she said, oh, all right. And it just <laughs> cracked us up that if I had told her my friend is blind too, that would have been the end.
9: <laughs> it yeah. certainly so, would. So,
1: so thank you, Terry,
9: for sharing that. That's you're crazy. more than welcome. <laughs> and one other very quick thing I'm going to, Paul, I hope Paul doesn't mind this. Um, we are also going to be doing a call on Thursday night at 7 o'clock that Paul is going to be our featured, featured spotlight, in our spotlight um, on caregiving as far as medical and other types of caregiving, be it relationships, Uh, things with with your kids in school, your grandkids, relationships, those kinds of things uh, where you are the caregiver in any number of different situations. And I would love to, I'm hoping that you can listen in and join in with us as well. And I Mm -hmm. am buying, I am going to nbp.org tomorrow and reading your book for the day. Thank you. Thank you both.
0: Yep, Deborah, your contact information in less than a minute.
1: Oh, thank you. Okay. You can get the book from www.nbp.org or call them at 800-548-7323. You can um, reach me at my email address is Kendrick, K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K dot D-E-B-O-R-A-H at gmail.com. I've just started playing around with Twitter. So my Twitter um, name is at kendrick. Insight, all one word, Kendrick Insight, which I created 12 years ago, but I'm just now starting to play with it. (laughs) So that's everything I know.
0: Next week on Tuesday Topics, we're going to talk about working from home and it's going to be an open forum. So we hope you'll join us then. Thank you. Good night.